All right, Isaiah chapter 8. This week for the Bible study exercise has been all Isaiah chapter 8. So today brings that to an end. Then next, uh, well, starting today will be uh, Isaiah 9 for those who are using the curriculum. Isaiah 7 was the most successful Bible study exercise we had ever done considering how many emails I received and all of the people sending me their, their, their stuff. This was probably second with Isaiah 8. Hopefully uh, the same level of participation will continue in Isaiah 9. The thing with Isaiah 9, a couple of things for people to just do. Obviously read it, read it, read it. Outline it, outline it, outline it. And then look for how it connects to Isaiah 8 and Isaiah 7, which is, uh, I think, very important in trying to put all of these chapters together. Since this is the time of year, everybody rips one verse out of Isaiah chapter 7 without ever understanding the context or all of the difficulties found within the text. So we will start, I'll probably, possibly this afternoon, do an introduction to Isaiah 9. That's probably the plan. And again, for those using the curriculum, it's, well, you can just start working on the curriculum because it's already there and uh, it starts working on Isaiah 9. But for now, we're going to work on Isaiah 8. We're going to try to conclude this chapter, but we're going to put it back together with Isaiah 7 because once again, I think the, the key here is Isaiah 7, 8, 9. I think they all need to be grouped together, really, to get a, a better understanding of everything. But here's how we're going to approach. So if you have Isaiah 7 or Isaiah 8 open, you can set that aside right now. And I want you to write down the following words. All right? I want you to write down the following words because I... What I'm going to try to do today, um, instead of doing it like, a, well, when I do the typical Bible study exercise, I do some of the teaching and then give assignments. But today what I'm going to try to do is we've spent so much time in Isaiah 7 and 8 trying to figure out all of the difficulties and figuring out, okay, who is this? And wait, which child is this? Okay, what's going on here? Okay, the child has to reach this age, and then what happens? And okay, who is the king of Syria? Who's, who's the king of Assyria? Who's the king of the northern kingdom? Who's the king of the southern kingdom? You, it sp- you have to spend so much time just trying to figure all of that out that by the time you get to the end, it... it sp- It can happen that you basically, all you have is a lot of facts. You have a lot of names. You may have some dates. You may have an understanding of what happened. And all of that is critical. But sometimes then the uh, spiritual value of it or the lessons from it are overlooked, ignored, not on purpose, but because you had to spend so much time trying to figure out what in the world was going on. So... With that in mind, we're going to try to look at this from a more practical standpoint, not trying to answer all the questions since all the questions have really all been answered over the last two weeks. So now we're going to really look at this from a more practical standpoint. So here we go. Here are the words I want you to write down. Right? I want you to write down the following words. Write down the word will, as in your will, my will, God's will, their will. Write down the word way, as in your way, my way, their way, God's way. Write down the word word, as in your word, their word, or God's word. And write down the word fear, as in the fear of man, fear of God, fear of others. 
All right, so what words have you written down so far? The word will, way, word, and fear. I think if you take those words and look at Isaiah 7 and 8, I'm not going to say anything about Isaiah 9, since that's, the, that's what we're starting this week, and I want people to work on it for themselves. But I think if you go through Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 8, these words become very critical and not only understanding what is going on, I think they're very critical in understanding what is going on beyond just all of the who, what, where, when, how. This really gets into some of the major spiritual lessons being put forth in the two chapters. Okay, so let's go back to Isaiah 7. I know that's always a bad thing to do. Because, you know, when I start walking through it, it's going to take longer than I anticipate. But we'll, we're going to try this, all right? Isaiah 7. Everybody ready? All right, Isaiah 7, verse 1. And it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, went up towards Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. Now, we know who all the individuals are, right? We know who all the individuals are. We have two kings who come together. That's the king of Syria and the king of Israel. They come together, and who are they going after? Judah, which is, who's the king there? Ahaz, right? So we, we understand all who the people are. We understand all of that. Okay, now... You can see where will and way comes into play immediately, right? You have the will of two kings, yes? And their, their will and their way is to come against Ahaz and try to destroy him. So they are trying to impose their will. They're trying to impose their way. And you can kind of see in Isaiah 7.1, you have the will of Ahaz and the way of Ahaz, which is going against the will of the two kings, right, of Syria and of Israel. I don't think there's any question there, correct? So we have a conflict between wills and ways, yes? They have their will, they have their way, and now there is a conflict. Just just keep that in mind, okay? Now we come to verse 2. And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim, and his heart was moved, and the heart of his people, as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. Now what what do we have in verse 2? We have fear. Right? The people hear this and they are afraid. They are so afraid in a sense they're being moved like trees in the middle of a storm. Right? It, they, they are scared. Now you have fear. Now what are they fearful of? Or the, they're, they're fearful of the circumstances that they are encountering. They're fear, fearful of the armies coming at them. Yes? So they're fearful of people they're fearful of the circumstances. Maybe fearful of death, fearful of, of loss of life, fearful of, of all the different possible uh, situations that they are encountering. So we have, we have will, we have way, and we have fear just in the first, what, two verses. Correct? All right. Then what happens in verse 3? First four words. Then said the Lord. Now immediately what's introduced into the story? We're going to have God's will, and we're going to have God's way, and we're going to have God's word. 
Now, we haven't got in, even to the word yet, uh, aspect of, or did I say, did I give you, uh, yeah, I give you the word, word to write down, okay? So we, have, we haven't even got into that. I could have already inserted that if I wanted to, but here now, God's will, God's way is clearly going to be contrasted with the will and way of everyone else. Okay? So, God steps in, and what does he do in that verse? He sends whom? He sends Isaiah to go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and Sherah Jashub, thy son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool of the highway of the fuller's field. So we now, we have God stepping in and God has his will. God has his way sending Isaiah to send to give his word. Everybody understand that? And look at verse 4. Say unto him, there's the word, correct? Say unto him, take heed and be quiet. Next two words. Fear not. There's the fear. Okay, so God's, God sends Isaiah to tell Ahaz, look, I know you see their way and their will, and a sense you may hear their word. You have your way, you have your will, You have your word, but you need to stop and listen to God's way, God's will, and God's word. And what is God's word to Ahaz? Simply put. I mean, if you have to look, you can look. I mean, it's an open book, but you should know it by now. Don't fear. And and simply, let's just make it simple. Don't, Don't fear. Don't worry about it. Because what? It's not going to happen. Do I, do, I, do I need to go through and read, read everything here, right? It's not going to happen. In fact, verse 7, Thus saith the Lord God, it shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. Everybody see that? So God steps in and he gives his way, he gives his will, he gives his word, and he tells Ahaz not to fear. Very simple, very straightforward. So we have, what do we have here if you think about it? What, what, what do we have really going on? We have the way, the will, the word of whom? The king of Syria and the king of Israel. What is their way and what is their will and what is their word? We're coming for you, Ahaz. We're going to get rid of you. We're going to replace you. Okay, you need to be afraid. Then we have Ahaz here, Correct. He has his way, he has his will, he has his word, and clearly he has fear. So then God steps in with his way, his will, and his word, saying, don't fear, it's not going to happen, everything's going to be okay. To help Ahaz out, he gives Ahaz a great offer. Ask a sign wherever you want, in heaven and below, ask a sign and I'll give you. And then Ahaz, of course, he says, I, I can't ask a sign. I'd be tempting the Lord. And we know clearly that he doesn't care about tempting the Lord because of all the other things he has done. He is covering up, listen, his way, his will, his word, and his fear with a fake spirituality. He's using God's word to not tempt the Lord, 
to basically cover up his way, his will, his word, and his fear. Now, that's very important. So many times, Christians will utilize Scripture, will utilize their Christianity in order to justify nothing more than their way, their will. They're just going to cover up everything with a level of spirituality. And you've seen it. You've seen it. You've, you've, you've probably have done it. You probably have seen it. You probably have done it. Where here's what you want. You got your way. You got your will. You've got your word. And then you run to the Bible to find some verse to justify what you want. And you really could care less what the Bible has to say. Because if you really cared what the Bible has to say, you wouldn't be putting forth such a ridiculous concept. But you'll, you, you'll find some scripture to justify it. And that's, it's embarrassing when we do that because everyone can typically see right through it. And anybody knowing Ahaz, which we, we agree when we just grabbed the Bible dictionary and just did a little bit of reading of Ahaz, we immediately realized, give me a break, Ahaz. <laughs> if, you, if you cared about tempting the Lord, you probably wouldn't have instituted, I don't know, sacrificing of children. Right? So, so just make sure, this is very important, that, that there is a great danger as Christians, to take Scripture, to take God, and use it as a robe to cover up you doing your way, your will, and you speaking your word. We've all, I mean, we, we become experts in it. We become experts in it. And it's, it's sad that we do that, but it happens, okay? So, God says, okay, you don't, wanna, you don't want the sign? I'll give you a sign. I'm going to give you a sign anyway. And what's the sign he offers up? Now, this is where you can quote the famous verse. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel. Now, immediately when we're reading that, look at what's going on. Now, we can say, well, Ahaz, you refused it. So this sign ultimately goes to whom? Who does the sign ultimately go to? Yeah, I mean, God, obviously, this sign, Ahaz refuses a sign. He's going to give a sign. Obviously, the sign can't be for Ahaz because it's not going to happen for 700 plus years. So who is the sign ultimately for? The house of David, right? Remember, he, he says that, right? House of David, right? Judah, right? And why, why, why is this sign... Because God had made a promise to the house of Judah that what? That they will have a king upon the throne forever. Yes? Okay, so someone who's going to come is going to be called Emmanuel, God with us, who will ultimately be referred to as a king, right? Everybody understand this? And, okay, all right, good. Hopefully we're on the same page, okay? So we, we, have, we have the situation. Uh, here is the sign. And so then... Everything seems to, now we get into a couple of, we get into some difficulties in the next couple of verses talking about the child and we don't know which child, but that's okay. God, in a sense, says, okay, here is the sign. Now, this, be, this in, it begins to indicate that what, no matter what anybody does, no matter what anybody says, whose ultimate way, will, and word is going to be established and is going to come to pass? God's. All right? So he offers that. Now, he also, 
something else takes place. Now we can, uh, we can go through to, you know, uh, to verse 15 and 16 where all the problems uh, lie, but we've already worked on all of that. Then what happens at verse 17 to 25? Seventeen to twenty-five. Okay, seventeen to twenty-five. You can just put. You can just put the uh, the Assyrians, right? Now, why is this so important? Because we know ultimately why Ahaz refused to sign. I told you he was covering his way and his will and his word. What did Ahaz want to do? He wanted to go to the Assyrians, right? And that the Assyrians would help him get his way and his will and stand against this confederacy that was coming to, to remove him. He wanted to work with the Assyrians. So God finally says, okay, you want that? You're going to get that. And what's ultimately going to happen in verses 17 to 25? The Assyrians will come in and they're going to bring destruction, suffering, and pain, demonstrating that when you go for your form of salvation that is not God's form of salvation, there's going to be negative consequences. All right? So in a roundabout, from a human perspective, we have another individual now brought into the context, right? We have the king of Syria. Right? And guess what he's establishing? His way, his will, his word, which is going to bring about fear. You see how this works? So we have, we have the, the two kings of Syria and uh, Israel, their way, their will, their word, trying to bring fear. We have Ahaz with his way, his will, his word, who is afraid. We have the king of Assyria who's going to come in and bring death and destruction. We have his way, his will, and his word bring about fear. But what's overriding all of this? God's way God's will, God's word. Now, that brings us to chapter 8. What happens in chapter 8? Well, what happens in verses 1, 2, and 3, and 4? Who steps in again? God. Once again, what do we see? God's way, God's will, God's word. Yes? And what, is he, what, what, what happens here? We have a prophecy. Another, another one of uh, Isaiah's sons, right? Okay. And which son is this? Mehar Shal Hashbaz, right? Mehar Hal Hashbaz. And he says, look, write, you know, write his name down. He comes about. And when, before this child reaches the age to say, mother and father, what's going to happen? King of Assyria is going to take away. Uh, the two, the nation of Syria and Israel is going to take care of the situation. However, there's consequences to it, correct? What's the consequences? What happens in verse 5? The Lord spake also unto me again. Now, once again, what's happening here? What do we have in verse 5 again? God's word, right? Which is going to reveal his way and his will. Everybody, you see how this goes through the entire two chapters? Then verse 6, For as much as this people 
refuseth the waters of Shaloah that go softly and rejoice in resin and Ramalia's son. Now, God is going to speak, going, okay, people, what have they refused? The waters of Shaloah, which, which refers to what? The waters of Shaloah originate where? Okay. They, origi- they origi- originate in Jerusalem. Okay. Many believe they originate from under the temple. So it's a symbol of what? You're refusing that which comes from God. You're refusing his way. You're refusing his will. You're refusing his word. It may, God's way, God's will, God's word may seem insignificant because so far all of his way, his will, and his word has been reduced to what? Well, children, right? Three, three different children have been mentioned so far, Yes. Right? And when they're going to reach a, a very young age where they wouldn't seem to be of any significant, great things are going to happen. Well, that seems foolish to any person. Go, wait a minute. I got armies here. I got armies here. There's death and destruction. And you're the best I'm getting is, well, when this kid reaches this age or when this kid reaches this age or some kid named Emmanuel, don't even know when, where in the world he's going to show up, that, no. They refuse that, and so what do they look to? They don't look to the the small stream that seems insignificant. They look, in a sense, to, in fact, look at how it's described in the next verse. Now, therefore, the Lord bringeth up upon them the waters of the river. Again, the, the term the river there is probably referring to the Euphrates. Strong and many, even the king of Assyria and all his glory, and he shall come up over all the channels and go over all his banks. They're looking for their way, their will. They're looking for some salvation that will go along with their way, their will, and their word. And ultimately, they're going to get the Euphrates. They're going to get what is glorious, what is big, what is powerful. But it's going to bring nothing but destruction. And it's going to flood over all of them. Everybody see all of that? That's all review. Um, We've covered that all week. So I don't have time to go back through all of that again if you haven't uh, listened I mean, verse 8, and he shall pass through Judah. He shall overflow and go over. He shall reach even to the neck and the stretching out of the wings shall fill the breath of thy land. And then what does it say? Oh, Emmanuel, which is very important. Why? What is significant about that? That the land is, that belongs to Emmanuel. That's not Isaiah's son. The land belongs to Christ, to the Messiah. Right? So now, so now even the land's being referring to belonging to Emmanuel. Okay, all, all of this we've talked about all week. Now, I, again, I don't, have time to, I don't have time to go back through all of that. So now, starting in verse 9, right? Verse 9 and following, so this is what we can do. Verse, chapter 8, verses 3 through 8, you can put the Assyrians are coming, which goes with the warning that was offered in chapter 7, verses 17 to 25. We just get that little break in chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, but basically you have the Assyrians are coming, this little break right, of another promise, of another sign, 
Okay? Then we have the Assyrians are coming. And that goes down to verse 8. Then starting in verse 9 to 22, we have some interesting things take place here. But everybody see how will, way, word, and fear it goes through all two chapters. Okay, and, and if, if, you're, if you're confused by any of it, I don't, ha- I don't have the time to go back and, 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 and do what we've covered this week. But if you have questions after, I'll definitely try to get you caught up. Okay, so there is will, way, word, and fear. And you see fear is, is in a sense, the concept of fear definitely runs through the entire two chapters. In fact, probably even goes further in, into the next chapter. But you see that there's this concern, this is fear. So let's think about this. Whenever we are afraid, whenever we are concerned, we tend to look to what for resolution? Our will, our way, and our word. And is that not the whole issue here with Ahaz? All right. Now, what takes place in the rest of it is very interesting. And it's a contrast here, a challenge Really what's going to happen through the rest of this is like, okay, everyone, you see, everyone has their will, everyone has their way, everyone has their word, and everyone is afraid. Now what you need to do is you need to replace all of that with a different way of thinking. So what does he immediately do in the very next verse? What happens in the very next verse? Verse 9. Verse 9. What, what happens here? What does he tell the people in verse 9? The King James says, associate yourselves. Some translations say, huddle yourselves together. Right? O ye people, and you shall be broken in pieces. Give ear, all ye of far countries. Gird yourselves, and you shall be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, and you shall be broken in pieces. I think you get the idea. No matter what you guys want to do, you're going to be broken in pieces. Your way, your will, your word is going to lead you to being broken into pieces. Now, why is that significant? It should be very obvious now. Chapter 7, let's go back through this again. We have two kings who join forces to come against Judah. Yes? That led to what? Fear from whom? Ahaz and the house of David, correct? So they are afraid. Ahaz tries to come up with a solution. Yes, his solution is not God's way, not God's will, not God's word, but the Assyrians. The Assyrians are now being shown, they're going to ultimately be a threat, which is only going to lead to what? More fear. Or more people trying to come up with their way and their will. So now, God steps in and says, okay, everybody listen. What's going to happen to everyone? I think he repeats it like four times in one verse. You're going to be broken into pieces. This indicates and screams what to everyone? 
What you should have been fearing the entire time is God. That's where your fear should have been. Your fear has been misplaced. You've placed your fear at being afraid of people, being afraid of kings, being afraid of armies, when you should have been afraid of God. This is so relevant to the culture in which we live, where we have so many people in the church who are fearful about the state of the culture, the state of the country, that what do they decide to do? Look for an alternative form of salvation, which is not God, and they come up with their way, their will, their word, their crazy theories, in order to stand against what they believe is something horrible, and ultimately what will it result in? being broken into pieces because what you should have feared from the beginning is not the state of the country, the state of the world. You should have been fearing God from the beginning. And guess what? God's solution may look like a little stream that's insignificant, but instead of going to the little stream, you went to some political leader that looked like a glorious river of Euphrates. But ultimately, it will lay waste to everything you turn to. Like the, the whole chap, the whole two chapters are, are like could be written for the church in the United States in 2021. They didn't fear. They didn't fear the right thing. So hey, huddle together, come together. But what's going to happen? Read the verse again. How many times does it say you're going to be broken into pieces? I'll go from the King James. Associate yourselves, O ye people, and you shall be, number one, broken into pieces. Give ear, all ye far countries, and gird yourselves, and you shall be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, and you shall be broken in pieces. How many times does something need to be repeated before someone goes, I think that's the point? Look, what does it say in verse 10? Take counsel together. Well, now when you're taking counsel together, what are you trying to establish? Your way, your will, and to take counsel requires a lot of words. Way, will, word. Right? All taking, they're taking counsel. And then what takes place? It shall come to not. Speak the word and it shall not stand for God is with us. They can have all of their way, they can have all of their will, they can have all of their words, but it's not going to happen. Why? Because God's way, God's will, God's word is greater than anybody else's way, anybody else's will, anybody else's word, which means whom should you fear more? God. Next verse, verse 11, for the Lord, verse 11, for the Lord spake, there is his word, you see how this continues through the entire chapter, thus to me with a strong hand and instructed, now when you instruct, what are you offering up? Your word, away. And a will, right? That I should not walk in the 
way of the people saying it's it's all right here okay so so look hey everyone yeah you 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 you've all misplaced you've had your fear in the wrong place you should have been focusing on the lord he's going to break everything into pieces he's going to take care of the situation so now it seems to be speaking directly to isaiah and what is he telling isaiah don't follow the people look at verse 12 Say ye not, I get, what is that? Say ye not, word, right? A confederacy to all them to whom the people shall say, a confederacy, neither fear ye their fear, nor be afraid. They may call for a confederacy, they may call for this, they may call for that, but you don't listen to them. You don't follow them. I've got to, again, I've got to relate this so much to the American church, especially starting in 2015, when everyone's like, no, we've got to do this. The world's falling apart. We need this solution. We've got, to con- we've got to develop a confederacy or an alliance with this political party or with this idea or with this idea. And someone needed to say, I'm not going along with any of you because you've, you've got your way, your will, your word, because of your fear, and what you need is God's way, God's will, God's word, and you should be fearing him. But we look at, well, God's word doesn't seem to make any sense. That's just ridiculous. You want me to pray, you want me to fast, you want me to study my Bible, and you want me to simply preach the gospel, and you simply want me to disciple people? That's ridiculous. we got to do something now. Oh. Well, the church is trying to do something now, and the only thing that's happened is the church has now become so politically corrupt that it's of no, it's no, of no value to the earth or to heaven. It's lost everything. Because we, we, and we have an entire section of the scriptures that show you that every time we try to go conf- join an alliance with someone of the world, what ultimately happens to the church? It's destroyed. It's polluted. It's corrupted. I mean, you can buy books called, you know, on church history, and you can see how this takes place. Every time, every time the Catholic Church joined with one of the nations, how did that always work out? I mean, every, every time there was a political alliance, it always falls apart. The church has never figured. I don't know why the church can, can't figure it out. It seems because, you know what? We don't want God's way. We don't want God's will. We don't want God's word. We want our way. We want our, our will. We say we want God, but we simply use God. Here's what we want. We want a country in our image with a morality that pleases us, that makes us comfortable, and we use God as an excuse why everyone should live the way we want them to live, and then we look to politics to enforce our way, our will, and our word so that people can fear us, because really we want to be in charge. That's what it comes down to. You want the country in your image. You want people to follow your rules. That's, that's, never, been, that's never the scriptural way of doing it. So you want that mighty river. Get the mighty river. Go for the mighty. Get that mighty river because sooner or later it's going to come in like a flood and it's going to lay waste to biblical Christianity, which I've been talking about for 20-something years. And it just, the situation is good. And you watch, 2022, it's going to get worse than it was in 2021. And by the time we get to 2024, it'll be worse than it was uh, in, in 2015. It's just, it's, it, we were, that's the direction everything is headed.
All right. Now, what takes place next? We're going to run out of time. So don't join them. And then what happens in verse 13? Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself. What does it mean to sanctify the Lord of hosts himself? We've got to spend time on this one. What does it mean to sanctify the Lord? S- say it again, Seth. Can't hear you. Regard him as holy. Okay? Regard him as holy. Anybody got a different translation? Go ahead and look up sanctify if you want. Okay. Well, you could, we can look it up, make sure that's the, the exact meaning here. There's a lot of meanings for the, for the Hebrew word here. What does it mean to sanctify the Lord? To be Okay. So this is what he's told to do. You need to, and I I think you're using the ESV, right? To regard God, to see God as majestic, as holy, as sovereign, as all-powerful. In other words, you need to get your eyes off all of these kings, all of their alliances, all of their threats, all of their danger, and you need to sanctify the Lord and regard Him as more majestic, more powerful, more holy. That's where you need to put your focus. That's where the focus needs to be. In fact, and let me read the, the, the verse itself. Sanctify the, the Lord of hosts Himself and let Him be your... And let Him be your... There you have it. <clears throat> that contrasts everything that comes before. Is, the, is these two chapters filled with everyone having their way? Is this chapter, these two chapters filled with people having their will? Is this chapter filled with everyone having their word? Is this chapter filled, these two chapters filled with fear? Yes, all over. So guess what? This is what you need to do. You need to set apart God, regard Him, and fear Him. Because when you regard Him as holy majestic, and you fear Him, then guess what goes away? You don't worry about everybody else's way, everybody else's will, everybody else's word, and you don't fear everybody else. And guess what else gets set aside? Your way, your will, and your words. This is the whole situation here. They've all misplaced everything. Everyone's got the wrong focus and the wrong perspective. And then what, what does he say to, go, to add to this? And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling, for a rock of fence, both to the house of Israel uh, and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. All right? So here's what, here's what he's going to do. If you... If you sanctify the Lord and you fear him, he becomes your sanctuary. But what is he going to be to everyone else? The, the text tells you, what is he going to be to everyone else? A stumbling block. And why is it going to be a stumbling block? Why is it going to be a rock of offense? 
It's against their way. It's against their will. And it doesn't. And listen, unless they sanctify the Lord as being majestic and holy, what do they see? I mean, what have they been given so far? Some kid named Shirar Jashub, right? They've been given another kid by the name of Mehar al-Shalhashbaz. And they've been given another kid by the name of Emmanuel, who's supposedly going to be born of a virgin. Does that all not seem... And when these kids reach a certain age, things are going to happen. Does that seem ridiculous? What, what do you need? Um, think about it. Hey, we, all of our phones go off. Okay, alert, alert, alert. Okay, China has just invaded Texas, okay? And they're 15 minutes away from Ovalo. We're all going to be you know, taken captive and we're, we're all going to be placed in some kind of camp. But don't worry. Levi and Lincoln are here. Now, someone's like, hey, guys, don't worry. Just, just go, go right outside on a big plaque, Lincoln and Levi, okay? And by the time they can say this, everything's going to be taken care of. I think you're going to be like, okay, you're, you're an idiot, okay? I don't care about Lincoln and Levi. What would people, well, we're in Texas, be like, we need to go get our guns. Go get our guns. We're going to get, we're going to get our guns. We need our, we got, we got, we, we got a constitutional right to have 13 guns. We'll kill some people. That'll be our solution. Right? And people will get offended by that, but that would be our solution. Yes? Like, we need guns. We need an army. We need to fight. We need someone to help us. They say, well, well there's, the, there, there's the Taliban over there. Okay, well, we'll join the Taliban. Anything to fight against the Chinese. We'll, we'll join anybody. I mean, well, I mean, joining the Assyrians is pretty much as ridiculous as that, right? And see, we laugh at it. We're like, oh, that's just stupid. We would never think that way. Oh, if you're scared enough, you'll do anything. Because God's solution in these chapters seems ridiculous, Right? And does it not, does not, not that little baby Emmanuel become a rock of offense and a stumbling block to all of Israel when he comes on the scene? I mean, pretty big, right? I mean, at one point they're like, oh, you're great. And then when they realize, wait a minute, you're not going to get rid of the Romans. Because once again, they wanted a political solution and a political remedy, right? When he appears not to be doing that, they all decide of following him and saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they all start yelling, crucify him, and everybody abandons him because they, they wanted to use Jesus for their way, their will, and their word, and when he doesn't give them their way, their will, their word, they'll kick him to the curb. Too many people in the church want to use Jesus and wants to use Christianity simply to get the America that they think they want. Well, Jesus isn't here to give you the America you want. He could care less about the America you want. I'm tired of the political hijacking of the church. I know this is supposed to be Sunday school and it just turned into a full-blood sermon, but that's okay. Because that's, this, this chapter just screams at all of the issues facing the American church. I'm so tired of every Christian wants. Jesus wants, just so stop, stop it, okay? Stop wrapping your Jesus, in fact, it's your Jesus, it's not the Jesus of the Bible, in the American flag. Stop it. Stop it. If you want, if you want that, then you go get it using your secular means, leave Jesus out of it. 
right? Leave the church, go dedicate yourself to the Republican Party, and go fight for the America that you think everybody wants. But you're going to wake up one day and realize maybe not everyone wants your America. And why is your America the America that everyone else should live in? Right? Why should a 20-year-old have to grow up in the America that the 60-year-old wants? Guess who, guess who will get the America they want? The 20-year-old, because the 60-year-old will ultimately die, die off. So now you're just fighting for something. I don't even know what you're fighting for. What should you be more worried about? That the church remains, right? And that the gospel can be preached. That's what you worry about. But we see a threat. We fear it. Then we want to conquer it, utilizing our way, our will. And then guess who we bring into it to get our way and our will? We throw in Jesus. Because if you throw in Jesus, well then, hey, see, my side's good. My side's good. And, every, and, people, and, and look, people have been doing that politically forever. Every, every political side wants to use Jesus, right? If it's the liberals, they'll use Jesus. If it's the conservatives, they will use Jesus. At some point, they both need to stop using Jesus and say, here is our secular philosophy for the country we want. Great. I could care less. Because Christian, not a political party. These people are turning to everything other than what they want. They, they, all of these people have their way, their will. It's just crazy. In the midst of all of this, God is like, hey, hey guys, here's, here's a sign. In fact, there's three signs. And we'll, we'll, we're going to see it in just a minute. There's three signs in the chapter. What are the three signs? Shira Jeshub, Emmanuel, and Maharal Hashbaz, right? Three signs. Clearly, everyone's ignoring the three signs, right? Everyone's ignoring the three signs. Nobody's paying any attention. And how do I know there's three signs? Because you're, we're going to get to it right, right here, okay? So, and many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken, right? And, well, there's a lot of different ways we could look at this. Verse 16. Now, what's the next thing he wants you to do? Or he wants Isaiah to do? Bind up the testimony, Seal the law among my disciples. What does it mean to bind up the testimony and seal the law? What does it mean to bind up the testimony and seal the law? Hold on to it. Keep it. What's another word? Starts with a P. Preserve it. That's what they need. Preserve it. Keep God's word. That's what needs to be remembered. That's what needs to be kept on to. That's what needs to be held on to. We get too many Christians worrying about crazy conspiracy theories on YouTube instead of actually studying and caring about God's word. And I, and I, I, can, I know how that works. You're like, hey guys, let's study the Bible. Let's talk about the Bible. No, I'm busy. I got to watch some QAnon videos on YouTube. That's the state of the church. 
right? When they had the big conference at Cornerstone Church, San Antonio, Texas, John Hagee's church, right? Big conference, over 5,000 people, and they're chanting, let's go, Brandon, instead of studying the Bible. Yeah, that, that's great. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's, that's right there in the scripture somewhere. I don't, I, I, oh, yeah, it's in a scripture that you wrote for yourself. That's, that's how messed up the situation has become. I was listening to American Family Radio the other day driving here, and they were like, sign up for the Patriot Institute. Yeah, I can, so I can learn to be a patriot. Where, when does that become Christianity? It's just, it's become, I don't know what it's become, but it's, it's left everything, and we're seeing, we're seeing the modern situation, and it very much resembles this. I understand people are afraid because they don't like what's coming. But what, you're go- what are you going to turn to? The stream of Shaloa or the Euphrates? And I think in many cases, your, your Christianity is just something you use for what you want. And man, if you turn to Christianity to get what you want, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Isn't that what happened when Jesus came? All of those people followed Jesus because they thought that he was going to give them what? What what were they looking for? Some of them were looking for, oh, he can make food. Right? Oh, he has bread. Now, he he offended all of them and they left, right? Some thought, oh, he can do miracles. And but what were they really looking for? He can get rid of the Romans. Oh, yeah. He can make Jerusalem great again. They probably even had red hats. Right? We can do this. We can take back our country. And what did Jesus tell them? My kingdom is not of this world. And they're like, okay. okay. Give to Caesars what is Caesars. And then they said, crucify him. How, uh, how, yeah, you, you'll, you'll use Jesus until Jesus doesn't give you what you want. You'll kick Jesus to the curb and then go wrap yourself in the American flag and be more worried about that than you are about the actual kingdom of God. Uh, say it. Stumble over it and be broken. Exactly. And then be offended. And whenever you preach this kind of message, people get offended. But you're not getting offended at me. You're getting offended of something that goes back over 700 years. They were reading exactly took place the exact same way. And forget 700 years. Or well, I want to say 700 years. 700 years from the time of Jesus back. Obviously far more than 2,000 plus years for us. Okay. But then we can go back to 2,000 years to when Jesus came along and the same thing happened. What did people want? A political Messiah. A political deliverance. And did Jesus give them that? No. Why do we think that that's what we're supposed to get now? I, I don't understand. I, I, I completely think people have just... Well, I've said it before. The political hijacking of the church is a result of the biblical illiteracy that was already present in the church. People stopped caring about the Bible, reading the Bible, and studying the Bible, and they, became, they were hijacked by political mindedness because they didn't care about God's word. If they cared about God's word, they never would have fallen for it for two seconds. Because the Bible would never allow for it. All right? Then, we'll just, we got to go quickly, a couple of verses. And I will wait, and then, and then it says, I will wait upon the Lord, and hideth his face from the house of Jacob, and I will look for him. 
Right? There's a lot we could talk about here, but please note verse 18. Isaiah speaking, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs, for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts which dwelleth in Mount Zion. The, the children are the signs. And then look at verse 19. And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them, they have familiar spirits, and under wizards that peep and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God for the, for the living to the dead? What, what happens here? They're looking for any kind of solution. What are they possibly going to turn to here? They're not going to look to the signs Right? Because the signs look like the small river of Shaloah. What are they looking to now? They're looking to the occult. They're looking to the occult to find an answer. They'll look to anything that will possibly say what they want. To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. And they shall pass through it, hardly bestead and hungry. And it shall come to pass that when they shall be hungry, they shall fret themselves and curse their king and their God and look upward. And they shall look unto the earth and behold trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. Right. Yeah, they're, yeah they're, they're completely in darkness. Everything's going to be in darkness. They refuse God, they're going to be in darkness. The land's going to be in darkness. Everything's going to be in darkness. And then if you go to chapter 9, you see the next, the next big contrast. What happens in chapter 9, verse 1? Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. And then it's going to start contrasting. It's going to bring another contrast, and we'll have to figure out who all the... We have to go back through it all again, figure out the people and everything about it. So, let's, we'll end this with this. Chapter 7 and chapter 8, what are the key words in chapter 7 and chapter 8? Will, way, word, and fear. Does everybody see all the individual parties in here that have their way, their will, and their word, and you can, they all have their individual fears, Yes? God steps in through the prophet Isaiah to say, listen, everyone, here is the way, here is the will, here is the word, and here's what you should fear. God's way, God's will, God's word, fear him. That's what you need to do. And so you need to regard God. You need to see him as glorious, majestic, and holy. You need to fear him. You need to preserve his word. But they refuse all of that because it looks insignificant. It looks foolish. They even, it, I mean, it appears the possibility that they're going to turn even to the, to the occult for an answer. And he's like, they're going to look to anything. That just shows you how dark, the dark, how great the darkness is. Because the darkness is great when people, listen, I cannot stress this enough, they will turn from God to find their solutions and to get their way and their will. And this is the entire Christian life. The entire Christian life is a constant struggle with you surrendering your way, your will, and your word 
for God's way, God's will, and God's word. And it's a constant struggle that you fear God more than you fear everything else. But the reality is we fear everything else and we use God to then get our way and our will and our word to supposedly fix the situation that we're afraid of. But God is not here for you to use. God is there for you to surrender to. All right, I'll stop there. There's chapter eight. I know that was more of a sermon than a study, but it, uh, oh, if, if you've just looked at everything we've talked about this week um, and all the other podcasts that I've talked about, it all just comes together. It just all comes pouring in together because the political situation in the church is so bad that there is, I don't even know what to say anymore. It's just, it's so, and, and, and I keep getting email after email going, I'm done, I'm, done. I'm finished, I'm not going back to church, I'm sick of it, I'm tired of it. It's this political nonsense, I'm sick of it, I'm sick of it, I'm sick of it. Well, how, I don't know when, when the church is going to wake up, but the political hijacking is driving people out of the church faster than I can, I can produce podcast episodes, and I can produce a lot. And I don't know when the church is going to wake up, but at some point they're going to, they're going to wake up and there's not going to be anybody. Well, put it this way. The church may, I don't think the church may, may wake up, but the church is going to wake up one day and guess what they're going to realize? They stopped being a church a long time ago and they simply become a, a Republican Party headquarters. And I don't know at, at what point they're, they're going to realize how they've abandoned God for a confederacy with basically Assyria. And sooner or later, the Assyrians will come in like a flood and lay a waste to everything. But there's got to be someone out there yelling and screaming that, hey, that's the wrong way. And Isaiah was the prophet, and God, his, his prophecy still has implications for us today because we're facing very similar situations. And I think there'll be more difficulties facing us going into 2022. And then you watch every church, Christian all over the place, going to be so, they're going to be, you know what they're going to be preoccupied with? The midterm elections, once again, thinking it's going to fix all of their problems. This is, this is playing out at 2,700 plus years later. Same thing is re- reoccurring, just in a different way. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. I don't even know what else I can say other than forgive all of us for imposing our way, our will, and our word because we fear everything else more than we fear you, and forgive us for using you simply as a means to get our way, our will, and our word. We ask this in Jesus' name. God's people said,